Ignition sequence start. Three, two, one. Houston, we have a problem. What you're seeing here is a mirage. 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 What's going on, everyone? It's Jaron from Jaronism back with another live video for you today. We've got an interview for you today with the author of the book, The Voyage. So, should be fun. Everybody knows about my channel. I'm sure if you're watching this, you know who I am. You know what I like to do. You know, poke fun at the lamestream media and all those fun things and expose space lies and NASA nonsense. But I also like to do something else, and that is uh, promote or help anybody who's in the community who could use that help. So if there's one thing that Flat Earth has done an amazing job of, it's uh, you know just making creative people do creative things. And we've seen it with music, and we've seen it with so many other venues, whether it's making videos, whether it's live streams, whether it's the uh, on-the-street activism, like the Globe Euro Tour, tons of stuff like that. But there's also uh, authors that are coming out of this whole movement, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So if you're looking for the latest and greatest in Flat Earth, this probably isn't the video for you. What would be a good video for you to, you know, to watch would be tomorrow. Tomorrow we'll be doing the uh, Jaronism Friday Lounge. And so check that out. That will be tomorrow uh, at 12 noon Pacific. So about the same time. We're a little bit late starting today. But 12 noon tomorrow, and we've got Iru, and we've got uh, Rodrigo and Bob, and we'll all be on the show. So check that out. That's on this channel. It will also be on DLive tomorrow. So uh, welcome everybody on DLive as well. But uh, most of you are probably watching on my YouTube channel. So welcome to the show. Appreciate you guys joining us so much. A shout out, obviously, and always to my patrons. They make everything that I do on this channel possible. If you want to join them, you can do so easily at patreon.com slash jaronism. So let's get into the interview. Should be uh, fun. The On the screen now, you see the cover of the book, which I'm actually sitting in front of as well. And we have on the line the author, Douglas Falk. Douglas, are you with me? I am. Good evening, Jaron. Awesome. Glad that you're here. Glad that we're able to do this. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of good things. If people are interested in getting this book, it is now available. I think the last time I talked to Douglas was before it was available, but now it is available on Amazon and that is the place to get it. And I'll be showing you those links, but those links are also in the description. So people can just scroll down in the YouTube video and you'll see three links down at the bottom. The first one is to the amazon.com, which is the U.S. Uh, version. And then there's the link to the amazon.com co.uk which is of course the version for the united kingdom and then after that we've got a link to goodreads where there's some uh, obviously already some good and quality why am i getting a call already okay close that out uh, but also some good quality reviews so awesome job douglas and it was great you know i don't know if people know but i've met you now twice correct yeah in uh, two continents yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so we met, uh, obviously, for the first time in Amsterdam. Yeah, I think it's funny that the first and only time that you went to Europe, you went to Amsterdam. <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of like going to Las Vegas and having seen the rest of the U.S. Do you get what I'm saying? <laughs> right, yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I can't say. I've seen all of Europe now. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah j just so you know, the rest of Europe is not like Amsterdam. <laughs> In any way? No, come on, in some ways. Uh, well, I don't know if if in any way, but it's I would compare it to Vegas in some sense. Yes, I would. Okay. 
But, I mean, you're from Stockholm, Sweden, correct? That is correct, yes. Okay. Uh, what is the is the biking thing the same as it is in Amsterdam? Because I I just loved the amount of people that ride bikes and that the whole um, city is basically designed for bike riders. I, being a bike rider myself, I guess I like that. But I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, the, the bike riding is definitely a thing because we also we are also by the river, and uh, but the whole mushroom. and the whole smoking oh, thing yeah, that's not, not quite the same <laughs> right no, no, no. that will give you a short ticket to you know to jail basically is it all illegal there uh the last time i checked yeah okay yeah the united states is is definitely swaying towards uh you know legalizing it all over obviously there's only some states that are legal right now uh california being one of those but uh yeah, so, you know, it used to be just a few short years ago that, yeah, any any kind of marijuana on you, on your person, or in your house even, uh, would be considered illegal and would land you in jail, but at least that's not the case so much right now. But there is some confusion with, you know, flying, and can I take it in my person, and can I bring it in my baggage, and so it's a little bit up in the air right now, but I know probably not very far along. Oops, sorry, my dog's going crazy. Was that Mr. Puppy? <laughs> it is, yeah, Miss Puppy. but uh, Miss Miss Puppy. Yep, and she's no. You crazy. you mean Miss T R R Puppy? Yeah, <laughs> Tur Puppy, come here, Puppy. Yeah, hey, come here. It's okay. She no, I I, I would say that the thing here is that it's still illegal, but many or if not most people are sort of on board with it. So it's quite it's a weird disconnect. Right. Yeah, it's a little bit different. And then after that, after our fun times in Amsterdam, and that was just a lot of fun. Did you enjoy the camping site and, and everything and, you know, getting to meet everybody? What did you think about that? Yeah, I, I sort of wish that I had stayed at the camping site uh, because that's where I met you the first time. Right. And it seems like I missed out on a lot of, you know, camaraderie that went up there, uh, especially with, uh, I haven't revealed this yet, I think publicly, but uh, Josh Corey from IRL Media is going to be the audiobook reader for this book, and uh, Rodrigo Ferrari Nunez, our mutual friend, is going to compose original soundtrack. And he actually played quite a lot of music there in Amsterdam, right? Yeah, I mean, the only thing that was you know bad about Amsterdam is that the weather didn't cooperate, right? <laughs> so yeah. uh, I think we would have definitely had a lot more fun and we would have had a lot more moments like that. But no, the second night, I believe it was, um, yeah, it was Rodrigo and his girlfriend. They both uh, played some music. She was on the flute. He had the guitar. Uh, there wasn't a lot of people there, maybe 20, 25 of us, because it was pouring rain. So we had to get under shelter as much as possible. And the first night when we had the big party, uh, by the bonfire, of course, we had to all huddle underneath the awning. Otherwise, we would have got drenched. It was absolutely pouring that first night. Were you there for that first night? Uh, I can't remember. Well, I, I met you on the Thursday. I think that's the day when you came in. Okay, yeah. And then Friday, uh, we had the yeah, yeah, party. Yeah, fr okay. Friday was the big uh, get-together with, like, I don't know, maybe 100 people or something. Correct, right. And then Saturday. But, but I, th Saturday, the very first day that I met you, it was on a Thursday, and then um, uh, Karen B., you and, uh, what's his name, Sack, Dr. Sack, mm -hmm. 
came to the uh, camper van and we were all cramped up together. Very cozy. <laughs> Probably like 30 of us in the camper. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't very easy. Yeah. So, no, that was fun. And then, of course, I got to meet you, uh, you know, not too long ago. What was it? A month ago. About a month ago in uh, Dallas. So what did you think of that event? Yeah, it was in- absolutely uh, incredible. Um even even my dad, uh, you met my dad, Mr. Richard, Mr. Richard Dawkins. <laughs> I wish I had a no. picture of him. I actually do have on my camera somewhere. I should have had that ready so I could show people. I'm not the only the one. R- Rich, like. Richard Dawkins doppelganger. <laughs> yeah. But you said that you told your dad that and he wasn't very happy because of the age difference, huh? Yeah, but, well, he didn't know who Richard Dawkins was, so we Googled him. And he, and he was like, he's like 78 years old. <laughs> but uh, I I personally think that it's a spot-on comparison okay, because good. they have the same hairstyle and, well, they both have the same outlook on, you know, the same worldview. So there you go. Oh, and he doesn't know who that is. That's surprising. So, Yeah, that uh, that is surprising, yeah. So I guess let's just start out, and again, if people, I'm sure, who went to the conference met Douglas and uh, got to meet his dad. His dad was very cool and, and cordial and hung out at the bar and, uh, you know, I got to talk to him a little bit when he was manning the table for you with all your books there. I think you had walked away for a few minutes, and I went and uh, talked to your dad for a little bit there as well. But just tell everybody, uh, you know, to start out, you know, who you are, uh, where you're from, and kind of, you know, what led you on this journey to write this book. Because like I said, that you know, the Flat Earth community has really been creative in so many ways with uh, music, as I said, or and anything. I like to <laughs> help people out. So it's like when Dave made the app, um, you know, it was like, okay, great. Let's come on my channel. Let's do a features review and, and go through each of the features that are on the app and talk about the app. And the same thing's been true with other uh, venues. People have done great jobs like Ranty Flat Earth or uh, Good Times for All. Zach did, did a great presentation. So anytime somebody has something to offer the community, uh, I love to bring them on. And, and this is one case that is the same. You know, you've done a great job writing a book. You got it published, which wasn't easy, I know. And from there, you're now able to offer that book on Amazon, and I hope people pick it up. And one of the good things is if you purchase the book, at least from the United States site, um, and actually I can show that right now kind of while you're going through. Uh, I'll just show people uh, the Amazon page, and again, those links are in the description. You can just also search for The Voyage by Douglas Falk, all the spellings on the screen. Uh, you know, But it's a, it's a great book, and it's a great job of getting people creative juices going and yeah but just start out by telling everybody who you are where you're from and what got you into this line of research or this line of creativity if you want to call it that yeah so okay who who am i uh i'm a 27 year old swede who lives in stockholm sweden and uh, just a few years ago i was on track to becoming an uh, english teacher uh but i dropped out because well, basically, I realized that, that the teaching profes- profession just wasn't for me. Um, uh, I, I just couldn't cope with the whole thing. Um, but then, okay, let me think here. I think it, I think it, it's actually almost three years to the day since I watched the first Flat Earth video I ever saw. Mm-hmm. And in 2016, as you can recall, YouTube was not censoring conspiracy content nearly as you know harshly as they do right now right not even close yeah that was before they announced that they'd be you know delisting demonetizing and you know no longer recommending so yeah it was a different world back then when you could just search flat earth and 
you know, click order yeah. by newest and you'd get all the newest videos. It was very easy to find. And yeah, it certainly isn't the case today. But I didn't even search for Flat Earth. Uh, I, I'm fairly certain because I remember distinctly which video I saw the first time and it was Eric Dubay's 200 Proofs video. But I'm, I'm not 100% certain, but I think that it was actually one of those autoplay things that I watched something entirely unrelated to Flat Earth and then YouTube automatically directed me to this thing. <laughs> so, so yeah, that, that's that's the first video I ever watched. What, do you remember what that video was? Yeah, that was Eric Debase oh, two hundred proofs. proofs. Okay. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I was, I was like, wow, what is this? And uh, yeah, and, and it's so it's so strange now, three years later, when YouTube is in front of the Senate and they are forced to you know do all kinds of censoring and you know you know the drill, right? But back then they were like, "Oh man, we have we have something here. We can make money off this, right?" Yeah, I don't know, know if that was their thinking, or you know, it was just part of the recommendation engine. So I think when you know videos were getting good views and people were seeing it, and then based on the thumbs up, thumbs down, maybe they were recommending videos. But yeah, they no longer are going to do that. Uh, you know, I, I doubt you'd be watching any video on an unrelated subject and have two hundred proof show up today. No way. Yeah, but I, I I do honestly think that they were really excited that something, um, something new like this just came out out of nowhere. So automatically, like any company, they would be like, okay, okay, we gotta, we gotta, you know, go all in on this. And then, of course, was was it in two thousand and eighteen or nineteen when they? Uh, had the Senate hearings or whatever. It would have been late 2018 or early 2019, yeah. Okay, okay. Now we got a, a super chat from Commercial Sound and Video who says, have you ever seen fire extinguishers on the LIESS? Didn't think so. Well, thank you for that, <laughs> Commercial Sound and Video. <laughs> um, yeah. But no. you, have seen, you have seen gorilla suits, though. You have seen gorilla suits. You've seen footballs. You've seen them throw around baseballs <laughs> and have all the jerseys from all the different teams magically and... Yeah, of course. And whenever we bring up this stuff, they always come out with their counter evidence, which was, oh, no, we sent every possible football jersey to the ISS. And it, you know, and they waited till the Super Bowl and then picked the two teams that went to the Super Bowl. <laughs> of course, yeah, you know, NASA is full of their nonsense. So you were saying basically, you know, you saw 200 proofs. And what was your immediate reaction to that? Um, my immediate reaction was... Um this is very interesting. I, I never had the strong reaction like many people do, like um, the reaction of being upset, angry, and uh, that whole thing. I was like, okay, this is really intriguing, but I, I just left it there until a few months later when I uh, started getting even more videos recommended to me. Mm-hmm. But it, but it actually took me a year after I watched that Eric Dubay video uh, from when I actually began writing the book. So it was uh, quite a long process. Right. And I guess we could talk a little bit about the, you know, the book real quick. But you basically said you were thinking about becoming a teacher. Uh, yeah. Why did you stray off that path again? Uh, because I, I just realized that I wasn't teacher material. Uh, I'd done a lot of 
you know, practice teaching and the kids were just, they just had no respect for me. So some, <laughs> sometimes you, you just got to know your boundaries. So there you go. <laughs> right. So I guess as far as this book goes, and uh, you know, I've read it and I guess I would call it action adventure. Is that what you would call it? Yeah, I yeah. think that's what I would call it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I would name it. But I think that, you know, in, involved in that action adventure story are so many flat earth tidbits um, and also, you know, globe tidbits. I thought you did a good job of kind of, I don't know, playing the fence, if you will. Uh, I think that it opens up for future installments, which I hope that you hope you're going to do. But I guess start out with, you know, exactly who do you think this book is for? Is it just for flat earthers? What would you say to that? Yeah, exactly. I think this book is for everyone, basically, because it is an actual adventure. I mean, it is a flat earth, but it's very much a flat earth story, but it's mm -hmm. not a it's not, it's not a patronizing propaganda piece, but it, because I can I can picture myself. Let's say that now in December 2019, I had never encountered this subject. The last thing I would like if I was a reader would be to pick up a book and say that you're stupid because you don't know that NASA is deceptive or something like that. Right. So, and you, you, you've met my dad, right? And you know that he's, he thinks this is all complete nonsense. But he still likes my book because of the, um, well, partly because of the adventure aspect in Antarctica, because, and also for all of the, like you said, the tidbits, all the information about Werner von Braun, James Cook, right. uh, Admiral Byrd, all of that. It's all very interesting, even for the so-called, you know, common man, the average Joe. Right, yeah, and I don't think that, uh, you know, it's not a book that's meant to sway globe earthers, would you say? No. Yeah, I mean, I, I I can tell you that my dad is not remotely swayed, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think it's meant to be that kind of book, and I think it plays. No, it's like not. I said. It, it's it's not it's not going to blow anyone's mind with some crazy infrared J. Tolan media experiment. It's not that kind of book at all. Okay, it's not that it's not that kind of book. It's. Uh, it's an adventure book with a lot of historical facts sprinkled in and also, of course, a lot of historical speculation sprinkled in. Right. But I do think that if a globe earther were to read it, uh, they might gain an understanding as to why this flat earth movement has legs. And then also, you know, they could be swept up by the adventure story while also learning some some flat earth tidbits throughout enjoying the book. You think so? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that was always my fear because I was when I wrote this, I was like, oh, my God, is, the, is, the, is this going to be like a one sided thing where only flat earthers like this? Because I want everyone because if you just appease to one crowd, that's pretty, it's pretty lame. No one likes that. Uh, but I actually know someone who is a friend with Elon Musk in real life, and she really like the book and she's a globe believer just like my dad uh, and I, I do think that I have succeeded in that aspect because yeah I want it to be as multi-layered as possible right now you must have some sort of writing background because the book is really well written and I, I'm shocked I don't know who you had do the translation or how, if you wrote it all in English or what but it's really well written and I guess I'm just impressed I, I, anytime somebody, 
you translate. Okay, so anytime somebody, yep. uh, you know, English isn't their first language, uh, I'm always like, oh, I wonder what kind of reading this is going to be. But I mean, there's no way you could read this book and feel like the author, you know, didn't have English as their primary language. It's just really well written, um, rolls off the tongue. It's very intriguing, exciting at moments, and you really get to follow these main characters uh, through, you know, well, what you'd call the voyage. Yeah. Yeah, uh, good. yeah, yeah. I translate it on my own, but I, I do have an editor um, who who is an American, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I'd like to shout out their entire uh, company. Actually, they're called Mascot Books, and the reason why I want to give them a shout out is, is because they have they had the courage to actually publish this when so many others did not have. Uh, especially the Swedish publishers who completely blackballed me and they were like, there's no way in hell we're going to take this explosive story under our wings. Really? Wow. So nobody would touch yeah. it. No, that, that that is what sparked me to translate it into English. So originally you wrote it then to be published in Swedish? Is, is kind that of, is correct. Right. I, fi- I finished the script in February 2018, so it's almost two years since I finished it. Mm-hmm. And then you tried to get it published by some of those publishers, and they just refused, huh? They refused, and uh, I gave up for a long while, and then I decided to translate it instead. Well, good. I'm glad America did something right for once. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I can't I can't heap praise enough for them because they they were so supportive from the get go. They were like, OK, we know this is a good story and we will support you all the way. And I signed with them nine months ago and I'm still still as happy as I was when I signed the contract as I am now. So. Good, good. And I think I heard in, you know, and if people want to check out, it's on TFR. You did an interview already with Paul on the Plane and Roxanne, uh, the globalist denier. And, you know, one of the things that you mentioned there is that you come from a writing family, right, that was heavy into uh, media. Yeah, yeah. Uh, My grandfather uh, founded the first local newspaper in Sweden called Östermalmsnitt, which is a you know local newspaper in Stockholm, and his father, uh, I mean, uh, my grandfather passed it on to my father that you've met, mm-hmm. and uh, my my dad is now retired, but basically, yeah, we're a family of writers in a sense, but no no one has ever, from what I can tell, uh, turned it into fiction writing. We've all been, uh, you know, journalists basically. Right. So yeah, but but it's uh, to 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 summarize it. Yeah, writing is definitely in the family for me. Yeah, no, it definitely seems that way, and you you know write well, like I said. So people should definitely check it out. And like I said, if you're interested in getting something, and it doesn't have to be for a globe believer, it doesn't have to be for a flat Earth believer. If you have somebody who enjoys reading, uh, I definitely recommend that you pick up this book. And if you're looking for something for Christmas, it's only nineteen ninety nine. Uh, right now you can get that on Amazon. Again, the link is in the description, and I think it would be a, a great gift. You know, if somebody bought yeah, it for it, me, it's I'd be like, happy. Yeah, uh, Adam, Adam Makin said that it, this would be a great Christmas present for, you know, um, 
you know, average people, glow believers who uh, who are curious about the subject, but they haven't really looked into it. Right. Yeah. Or even if they're not curious about the subject, I think it would get them on that path and at least have them, you know, see why some people are starting to lean this direction. So I think that that's all fantastic. Do you want to start by, you know, giving a little bit of a summary? Obviously, you don't want to give away too much of the book. And I think there's some great moments in there. I would certainly not want to uh, give away. But do you want to just give an overview, maybe a you know two, three minute overview of what people can expect and what the story kind of entails? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, it starts with a prologue uh, following Admiral Byrd in 1956 in Antarctica during Operation Deep Freeze number one. And he sees something that is very interesting. And then we flash forward to present day in 2020, where we are introduced to the two main characters, John and William, and the uh, you know, main POV is John, who is a, he's an average Joe. He's a globe laborer. He worries about uh, average things like school and he's in love with this girl and, you know, these, you know, boring average Joe things. Uh, it was quite important for me that the main character wasn't like a flamboyant hippie or anything. He had to be a well-grounded down to earth guy who was opposed to the flat earth topic. Uh, and then he just gets sucked into the flat earth conspiracy by his enigmatic friend, William, who has a, f his father works for Lockheed Martin. And via that, he has gained some information about, well, the Antarctic Treaty which you are well aware of. When was it signed? In 57, I think? Mm-hmm. 58, yeah. Yeah, 58. And he, well, he, he claims that there's a good, there's a good chance that there's something concealed in Antarctica and we have to find out what it is. And gradually, my main character, John, he becomes more and more well, he has doubts at the end of the day, and he agrees to join forces with him on this voyage to Antarctica and beyond. Excellent. And then the uh, yeah, the story progresses from there, and and basically, um, you know, yeah, I don't want to give away the ending or anything, but I think that it opens up for more installments, and you'll be able to you know build upon the story. We got a couple good super chats. Bad puppet just said based on a true story. Uh, absolutely, possibly, could be. <laughs> I don't know if that's necessarily. I, I've, never been, I've never been to Antarctica, but I, <laughs> I, I wish, I wish I, I would have gone there actually for the research because uh, the entire second half of this book takes place in Antarctica. You know, for right. obvious reasons. Of course. Uh, not just because. Well, in flatter theory, that is where something is concealed, but also, it's like the perfect setting for a, um, you know, for, for, uh, for yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. An and you have all these uh, legendary uh, places like Mount Erebus and the Amundsen Scott base. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Amundsen Scott base. I think you and David Weiss have done a bunch of videos on uh, that there's no 24-hour sun there. 
like. Yeah. No, yeah, it certainly seems like we've done a lot of videos on that, but it certainly seems like uh, they're cutting all the videos of supposedly this 24-hour sun with uh, inexplicable reasons. They just have nonsense excuses why they can't show it uh, completely. And, you know, do I believe that there's a 24-hour daylight uh, down there during the winter? Possibly, but again, I, I, I don't know. I haven't been there. It's hard to, you know, when I expected to see some evidence like, well, if this is the truth and, and it's the bottom of the globe, then I would expect to see tons of videos showing that. And when we went looking, there just wasn't any. In 2014, 15, 16, 17, you know, there wasn't any. Now, since then, there's been a few videos have come out. They've been the same guy who basically, um, has, you know, shown before that he can edit videos. We've seen before that the north, south, east, and west is... Uh, tucked behind mountains, which tells me that those videos have been edited. So I still haven't seen anything that's anywhere near uh, proof that we certainly live on a spinning globe. Uh, Zaylor Raiden. Wait, wait. Go ahead. Do, do you mean Ranald Fiennes or that guy who was on Joe Rogan like a year ago? No, I mean, those guys basically say that they have crossed Antarctica, correct? I'm talking about as yeah. far as evidence of the 24-hour sun. But, I mean, if you're talking about people who have crossed Antarctica... Uh, yeah, there's just so few of them, and, you know, when I looked up Ranul Fiennes, of course, you know, he's, you know, Cousins of the Queen and uh, part of the military, and, uh, you know, I've seen before that he's been found in court to have uh, faked incidents and faked accidents for, for videos of him, you know, on the ice, and everyone's seen the video when he went to the North Pole. It's, it's just, it's funny to me. There's a cameraman, and these two guys climb up this hill, and they post the flag in the North Pole, and they're celebrating, and... You know, they get named as the two guys that went to the North Pole, but I've never heard anybody talk about the cameraman. Well, why isn't the cameraman getting an award? Why didn't he went to the North Pole? He's obviously there filming the whole thing. So it all just seems like such a movie to me and, uh, you know, very easy to convince the public with just one or two stories like that, that we've been there and that we've, you know, gone to the South Pole and that they've crossed Antarctica, even though every time you see somebody cross Antarctica, it seems that they take the little short path. You know, it's like an angled path. And, you know, I've talked before about the circumnavigation people who um, supposedly, well, they got the record for fastest circumnavigation single flying in a plane. And when you look at the path that they took, they went down to Brazil, uh, flew to the 90 degree marker, turned around and went back to Brazil and then from Brazil to uh, New Zealand and then back up to Antarctica. I'm sorry, back up to uh, Alaska and then to the North Pole. And they got the record, which isn't circumnavigating. You know, you can't just go to the 90 degree and come back and say, oh, I circumnavigated. No, the point is you're supposed to go across that. Uh, Anthony Siconte, Siconte uh, said, Jaron, you need to read The Elusive Curve. Yes. No, it's next on my list. That's by Billy Zig, correct? I believe so. Um, so, yeah, that's I've got tons of books lining up, and people keep sending me books, and thank you for that. And if you have written one, and yeah, you want I, me to do I, I have so it. many books, too. I have Noel J. Hadley's book. I have Mark Sargent's book. Right. So uh, Mark, uh, Mark Devlin's book. But I, I just wanted to say uh, before we leave, Randall Fines, never trust a guy who has like ten surnames <laughs> because <laughs> you know his his names are ridiculous. It's like oh, it's Sir Randall Fines Twickenham of uh, Buckinghamshire or something. Yeah, it's bar absolutely third ridiculous. Baron of the Baroness of the you know, Buckingham. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, it's just ridiculous. But you know, those people are celebrated and and. Uh, I've shown before, I think you can find the video on my channel somewhere. I don't remember exactly what video it's in, but I showed where he can't even get the distance right. In his book, he said it was a 100,000-mile journey when he crossed both poles uh, on the 
uh, Guinness Book uh, site, you know, it says that it was 53,000 miles. In another place, it says it's 33,000 miles. It's just all over the place. It's all, you know, and this is the same journey, yet I can find places where it says it was 33,000 miles. I find places where it says it's 100,000 miles. And even his book and his interviews are always mixed up. And, and we're talking about the same journey. I'm talking about the one that was made in the early 80s. Of course, yeah. and since then we've had a few people who have come along and said that they've done it. I talked about a, you know, a girl that skied to the South Pole and then went back to where she started, and I got a hold of her and said, "Why didn't you just go across?" I couldn't understand why would you travel to the South Pole and not just cross Antarctica? Why would you come back the way you came? And she said, "Oh, for them to pick me up on the other side of Antarctica would have cost me an additional sixty thousand dollars, so I couldn't do that. So I went to the South Pole." turned around and came back and a lot of people call that crossing Antarctica but that certainly seems to lead credence to the flat earth theory uh Zayla Raiden one said to think Google created his flat earth journey yeah well <laughs> that's uh, definitely true and I think it's true for a lot of us and there's no problem with that you know I mean that's what the internet's for is getting information out there and allowing people to see things they otherwise wouldn't have seen and that's why I think this movement <clears throat> has certainly grown as much as it has so thank you very much for those super chats um, one question I did have yeah, about man, the, Go ahead. Okay. I just wanted to add one last thing. I mean, even way back uh, in the days of uh, Captain Cook, he spent three years trying to circumnavigate Antarctica. Right. Yeah, some 60 and, or 80,000 miles or something and said he could never find an inlet. Basically, there was just a wall of ice as far to the east and west as his eyes could see or his boat could go and they just kept sailing around and around and around and around. And again, I mean, there's no way that that, um, if you have a belief or at least you're told you live on a globe and you go down to the Antarctica and you start sailing the edge of it and you just can't ever find an inlet, you basically just go around and around and around and around. Those guys would have been very confused at the time. And if you read, uh, the notes from his second journey, they were nothing but confused the entire time. Yeah. And like the Admiralty, they would never be, I mean, they don't want anyone to waste time. If he actually spent three years, it's because he, he actually tried. He didn't waste any time down there. It was because it took so so long to actually go around the whole thing. Right. And, you know, one of the big things that I think is amazing is that, uh, you know, somebody says, well, couldn't we prove this? And, yeah, if we got on a boat and we go down south and then we just start sailing around, but the rules of the Antarctic Treaty state that you can't store extra fuel on your boat if you travel below the 60 degree marker. So what people need to realize with that is you certainly can't get very far on one tank of gas in any kind of a boat that any of us could afford. Uh, you're certainly not going to go very far. You're going to go down there and if you're lucky you'll be able to touch the the Antarctic co coastline, the shoreline, and then you'll be able to go back to where you started from because that's all the amount of fuel that you would have. In order to just basically do what Captain Cook did or what some of these other sailors did and, and actually sail around, you would need extra fuel. And they've completely banned that from being possible. So people can think what they want. For me, that's a huge, um, you know, red flag. You know, why wouldn't we be allowed to go down there and just uh, sail around? Well, I think that it's because uh, the coastline is much, much longer than we've been told. And there has been some boats that have supposedly, I know just last year or two years ago, there was the Catharsis II that supposedly... Um, went around Antarctica in something like 100 days. But if you look at the details of, of all that journey uh, and you do the math, it comes out to basically they were moving like two and a half knots um, per hour. 
which to me is just ridiculous. Now, again, if you have the globe dimensions and you think you know how far you're sailing and you do it in 100 days and you calculate the math and you say, okay, well, we did 14,000 miles and we did it over this many hours, then you're going to come out to 2.5 knots per hour, which is just ridiculous. That's so slow that boat can actually do 30 miles per hour. It can do much, much more. And then you add to that the, uh, uh, the whole flow of the water and the streams, the currents, and you know the way that you have to go because you know nobody actually sails uh, going west everybody sails east because that's the direction of the uh, of the currents of the sea flow and then you add to that wind and everything else i just can't see how it's possible that people believe that that boat went around uh, doing 2.5 knots on average that's just ridiculous uh, earth is seriously flat said love is teaching children how to test non-curvature agree with that uh, street activism tools are available at flatearth101.com uh, and the globe and also Anthony Siconte said uh, it has a practical way to prove it flat or not in the elusive curve. So that is next on my list, and hopefully I can get Billy Zig on and he can uh, talk about that book a little bit. And uh, you know, like I, I said, just want to say that yeah. uh, you know John Savage from uh, Iron Realm, right? Of course, right. yeah, yeah. He was very glad that I uh, included Jarl and Ahoy in the book. You know who that is, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Uh, John Savage actually said that he's been trying to have uh, Joel on his show for years, but he never showed an interest. That is a very interesting guy because he he constantly tries to push the envelope by going there, but he doesn't really have to. It, it doesn't seem like he has any grand plan. He just likes messing with the authorities. Right. Yeah, he's the guy that just goes down there and, and gets busted for doing so, right? Yeah, gets fined by the Coast Guard, yeah. Right. And, you know, people can think what they want about that, but there's certainly a lot of evidence, and this is why this book does great. I mean, you know, there's a lot of evidence saying that they're hiding something in Antarctica, period. You know, and if you don't believe that, then you're just not paying attention. And you can believe that and think, okay, well, we're on a globe, and there's a reason why they're hiding it. They just want to keep this one little piece of ice uh, very pristine. They don't want people to go down there and spill fuel. They don't want people to go down there and make the penguins sick. You can believe all that if you want, but we know how these countries work that are all against each other, yet in 1958 or 1959, they all came together, which is interesting because it's right after some of the uh, nuclear tests that America did by launching things into the sky. Right after that, you have NASA formed in 58. Right after that, you have the Antarctic Treaty, which basically bars uh, any country from any territorial claims and saying it's only for scientific purposes. They say there's not supposed to be any military activity down there, but it's all basically guarded by military bases. Uh, so it basically makes you think something is up, no matter how you look at it. But a lot of people want to see it in another way, and you know, I don't know how you can stop them. It's uh, you know, people can believe whatever they want. So um, I guess a question I would ask is, well, first I wanted to ask, who did the artwork and the illustrations in the book? Did you do all that? Uh, I gave them an overall idea of what I wanted, and I wanted the Earth as seen from above. Uh, not a flying pancake in space like Danny Faulkner, um, <laughs> but, but, you know, a, a really cool image. But, but the artwork was all done by my publisher. But I, I, just, I just told them the general idea of what I wanted. Okay, I just like how some of the drawings are right on top of the chapter titles. Oh yeah, it's it's cool. absolutely incredible. I can't thank them enough for their work because everyone I've met tells me that this cover is amazing, and uh, I couldn't agree more. But I didn't personally design it. Say it again. 
Uh, but I, I did not design it on my own. Oh, I gotcha. just gave the idea. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, let's see here. So what would you expect um, or what kind of expectations would you think people should have when they pick up this book? Yeah, basically what we've been going through lately. Uh, it's not it's not a proof book, really. It's not like it's not there to convince anyone. It's it's an adventure with a lot of speculation and history written into it. Like I bring up Werner von Braun and, uh, you know, uh, the the life and crimes of his whole, you know, story. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's basically, yeah, it is fiction, but it's a lot of history sprinkled into it. Right. Did you ever read um, Iron Republic? No, but a lot of people have asked me about that. Uh, didn't you tell me about that in Amsterdam? I think you did. Probably, because, uh, you know, it's a book that I read way back, you know, probably 2016 now at this point. It's an incredible book. It kind of talks uh, the same kind of story. You know, it's supposed to be a true story, but a lot of people have not been able to uh, back that up. I mean, as far as there's some, you know, political elections that are in the book that you know we've tried to research and figure out if any of those actually happened it doesn't appear that they happened so you know the person that wrote it certainly made it seem like it was a real story um but there's a lot of things in that book that are just unexplainable uh, being that it was written in the late 1800s and it talks about you know basically a trip down south uh they get to antarctica the, of course the the main character of the story thinks that the ursa globe and uh, travels to Antarctica trying to go further south and finds basically an inlet in the Antarctic ice and is able to go through it, and they're there for many months. It's basically like a, a huge crevasse that they're sailing in and actually kind of get sucked in. And when they That's come the out, one called Summer's Gate, right? Uh, yeah, they don't call it that in the book. I mean, that's the Summer's Gate is something that's from a Flat Earth map that I've seen before where they kind of uh, have some other continents on the outside of the ice edge. But yeah, basically he goes through a little crevasse and they come out the other side and they sail forward until they hit a continent. And when they get there, they think that they've found, you know, South America or something like that. And of course, they get met out in the ocean and told, no, this is a, a different continent. It's called Iron Republic. It's about the same distance from the ice wall that the United States is going the other direction. And then you just find out that it's a much more advanced civilization where, uh, you know, money isn't treated the same. They don't enslave people they're much uh, ahead of our time as far as uh, technology but it's a great book because it talks about a lot of the things that are available today and it, this is written in the late 1800s and it just doesn't make a lot of sense that somebody was able to predict maglev trains and all the things that uh, we have today now some of the things that they talk about aren't in today's world at least not yet you know they talk about people flying and personal flying machines uh, that basically are like wings with a motor. Now, I guess you could say that some of those things are starting to come up, and we've seen some videos of that. But this is, you know, 100 years ago that it was written, 120, you know, 25 years ago. So it's it's an interesting book, and it talks a lot about that journey. And then coming back, you know, he says a lot of things like that, uh, you know, the shape of the world will need to be, um, you know, rethought of, that it, it's certainly not a globe, that it's a uh, plane and that there's outer worlds and that they are further advanced than us. And, you know, one of the questions that they ask the people when they get there is, why haven't you come to America and told people that you're down here? And they say, oh, no, we know that America's up there, but they don't live the same lives that we do. They don't care about the same ideals that we do. 
And so we just let them be and they let us be, you know, and you guys just happen to sail here. So it's a great book. People can check that out. I think Morgyle does an audiobook reading of it and you can find that on the Morgyle's channel, but just search. Um, yeah. If you just search. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will it. actually be on Morgyle, uh, soon, I think. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Ask him about it. I mean, he's done it, you know, I, I, I just wanted to, uh, bring up one thing. I seem to recall when you uh, told the story of the Iron uh, Republic that you had a wild theory a few years ago about Captain Cook not actually being clubbed to death by natives on Hawaii. Right. But but he actually sailed into an inlet, right? Well, I think, you know, my, my, yeah, it's a, it's a wild theory because you're not going to find any you know evidence of that other than the fact that, you know, when he turns in his logs, it always takes three to five years. He has to turn them into the queen and then they spend all this time correcting them. So when he came back from his second journey, he turned his log in and basically he left for the third journey before the second log was ever published. So he had no idea what it said. I mean, he died before that book was published. So he goes out for his third journey, supposedly. And, you know, the story is really ridiculous if you look into it that, you know, of all people, the captain of the boat went on shore and on Hawaii to talk to these people. And uh, it's just stuff that you wouldn't think would happen. The captain of the boat goes there unarmed and, and without all of his army and basically gets killed. And then when the boat comes and looks for evidence of that, uh, I believe all that they were given was his hand. And that's how the proof has stood. So to this day. Uh, they say, oh, no, his body was chopped up and, you know, sent all around the island and all that they had for proof was his hand. But again, like I said, nobody has the uh, the details of that second journey because he would turn him into the queen. They take five years. They republish the the journey. So, you know, my thought was if he did find an outlet or a way out on his second journey, that he may have gone on his third journey and simply took that and <laughs> headed out. They had multiple boats. And when they got back, of course, there's always less boats because the story is, oh, this boat sunk and this boat sunk. It'd be, again, it'd be very easy, especially back then, to tell everyone on earth a story um, that, oh, he got killed and this and that, when really he just took off and they didn't want people to know that. And of course, they would never write that. They're gonna, never going to tell people that are trapped here, hey, you can't exit. Hey, Captain Cook did go. Uh, but my opinion is that uh, he may have uh, saw the opening and just left, especially if in his second journey is the one where he supposedly went around and couldn't find an outlet. Uh, maybe he did find an outlet and they just wrote that in there that he could not. So, you know, that's my opinion of that. But, you know, again, is, do I have proof of that? No. How are you going to prove to anybody uh, that that's the case? I just think that in today's world, you're not going to find that same story now because you can't take fuel below the 60 degree marker. So you can't nobody would feel comfortable just going down there and saying, oh, we're just going to be like if, if we had free energy or there was a plane where we could just get in and fly, you and I, Douglas, could get on a plane, go south, and just fly south and, and see what we find. Yeah. The problem with today is you can't do that because if you take a plane and you fill it with fuel and you fly south, uh, you got to quickly look for a place to land and you're not going to know where you're going and people are going to be scared for their life, obviously, right? Uh, nobody's just going to get in a plane what, what, and go there. When we're talking about things that happened 200, 300 years ago, I mean, who knows? Like you say, Correct. history is a lie. So Right. Yeah, um, that's what I believe. I think that, you know, you can easily, we can just see the stories that are being told today. I mean, if you're in the United States, uh, turn on NBC News today and just see them going off and all the things that Trump did wrong and look at all these facts about Trump. And then you turn on Fox News and all these things, of, you know, Trump didn't do anything wrong. And we can just see that there's two ends of the spectrum. There's some people telling one story and one, some people telling the other. They're both claiming that it's the truth, that it's fact. 
and, and yeah. you know neither really neither of them are but it's so easy to lie to people today so put yourself back 200 years ago how ridiculously easy was it uh, to tell lies back then <laughs> be really really simple uh, especially when you know all people knew is what was published and again you know when captain cook gets back and gives his second journey to the queen uh, why would it take you know four or five years for that uh, you know, book to come out to be published unless they were going in correcting things, editing things, changing things. And then again, of course, one of his boats made it back for the third journey. And then again, that takes four to five years to come out. It just seems like there's so much nonsense in those stories. And it's so easy to tell, you know, lies. But um, you, you talked a little bit about the struggles that you had in, in getting this book published. So uh, I'm glad that you were able to, you know, finally get it out. That's a, a great story. Uh, what yeah. is your personal belief about the shape of the earth? Where do you stand as of today? Yeah. Um, like I told you, uh, yeah, this is a pretty important question to your listeners. And I suppose I, I'm, I sort of had, have the same worldview as Crow and Jason Lindgren in the same, in the sense that I don't want to commit myself to any group really before I'm 100% certain uh but i i have i have a thousand questions that are unanswered and uh, <laughs> that that, that helped shape the formation of this book right no i think that's how a lot of us feel you know a lot of us uh feel the same way that there's just so many questions that are unanswered and i've found so many lies and so many deceptions and so much bull and once you realize nasa is just a huge pr industry and uh, the way they're able to get news out with their press, you know, the press releases, and they're able to basically say anything, and the world believes it. Uh, they're obviously, you know, the prop, you know, the propaganda is forced down people's throats from a very young age. There's just so much that tells me that we've been lied to, and when you're talking about all the things that we've been lied to, like I said earlier, with the Trump stuff, with the Russia Gate, with you name it, all these things that we've been lied to about, it's very easy for them to get these lies across to many, many, many people, right? It's just it's Yeah, and easy. I no longer take Wikipedia as gospel. I mean, Good. you've said many times that the easiest thing there is is to be a debunker. Right. Uh, let, let's take our friend or enemy, Mick West. I mean, his oh, job, job is to go to Wikipedia. Well, okay, here, here's the thing. He finds a new conspiracy theory that's trending, the first thing he does, he doesn't entertain it or anything. He goes to Wikipedia, he finds the official explanation for it, and then he regurgitates it on Metabunk. That's right. how it's like, right? Yeah, so easy. Yeah, I mean, how could you fail with that? It's like Wikipedia is your god. Right. And it was my, it, 10 years ago, that was my god too, because I assume that everything that academia put forth was gospel, but now I'm not certain of anything. No, and I think that's the best you know method to take, especially when you find you know lies and when you see how much money this space industry is worth and everything that they can tell you and that it's just so easy to get everybody to believe what you want them to believe, especially when you create textbooks and you put them in children's faces before they can even think and you pu you know push this stuff to the point where they have no no option but to believe it. You know, I've said before that when you come out of you know, third grade, uh, at least before the flat Earth kind of awakening started, that it'd be impossible for you to come out believing anything other than a globe. So yeah, but with people like Mick West or these other channels, it's just so easy 
to basically, oh, I can just make fun of flat earthers. I can make fun of anything that you say, you know, oh, well, you think 9-11 is an inside job? Let me look up Wikipedia. Here's the facts. Here's the 19 box cutter carrying, you know, Arabs. Here's the passport that we found. Here's an engine that dropped out of the plane. And there you go. There's your proof. So, yeah, you can, and, and like Dave Weiss says, it's so easy to believe whatever you're told. I mean, your, your day can be set. You know, you could just look it up. Uh, get told one story and just believe it, and then you're fine. You can go off the rest of your day. You can play games. You can go watch football. You can go uh, live your life, go to work, and you never have to worry about uh, any of these things. But to truly find the truth takes work. And when you start digging into some of these stories, you realize that a lot of them um, are folk tales. They're just they're fairy tales. And, you know, it's like you said, when you believe all the things that you're told, it's kind of why I stopped doing some of these debates because debates – if they get to go in with the idea that, you know, science is fact, then what kind of debate are you going to go into against them? It becomes very difficult when you're like, okay, well, I'm trying to explain a different edge of the story. And they just say, well, no, science has proved this. We know the distance to the sun. We know, and you try and say, well, how do you know the distance? Well, it's already fact. We've already figured it out. Well, how do you know the distance so, to these, these stars? Oh, we already know it. It's been figured out through spectroscopy. You know, they can just say whatever they want. And you have no choice but to believe them. If you go looking into it, you find flaw after flaw after assumption, and it makes the, the story seem uh, a little bit far-fetched. That's the way I look at the, you know, the globe Earth theory. So, Jaron, are you saying that you don't think there's a skull asteroid that shows up on every Halloween? <laughs> no, that one I do believe. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, I don't believe that. I don't believe the, the uh, you know, jack-o'-lantern sun. These are just stories yeah, that the, keep... The, the, the worst one for me is the one that Paul brought up. I mean, like, the idea that Uranus of all planets are like, that they are going to probe into it for smelly gas or something, it's just it's the worst. It's ludicrous. It's, it's, li it's literal horse manure. And, it's, yeah, literal toilet humor is being passed off as real science. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of things being passed off as real science. And again, people will just eat it up because they already have this preconceived notion of the shape of the earth and where we're at and we're spinning and we'll never feel it and flying through space and we'll never feel it. So they're just able, it's like Narnia. They're just able to make up any story that they want about Narnia. And you could talk about, well, what about time dilation? Oh, well, time dilation in Narnia says this and this and Einstein proved this and this in, in 1919. And, you know, you can just go on and on with these stories that nobody can ever check up on. And if they lie to us about all the things that we can check, if they lie to us about everything that we can actually touch and feel and research ourselves and see for ourselves, if they lie to you about all that, what do you think they're doing about places you'll never go, places you'll never see uh, planets you'll never experience. All these things that they tell us about the sky is simply Narnia to me. It's just make-believe. There's no evidence of it. There's no proof. If we went to the moon back, you know, 60 years ago, we'd be back. There'd be bases there. It would get easier. It would get cheaper. And, you know, I don't find any of those things uh, to be the truth at all anymore. Um, I think that we're just being lied to on a mass scale. So can I tell you for sure this is what the Earth is shaped like, or can I tell you for sure this is where things are? No, I can't. You know, all I can do is tell you what I know it's not, or at least what I think it's not, and then give people uh, reasons why I certainly don't think that. Yeah, uh, I, I bring it up in the book as well that it, in, at the very end, um, I don't want to explain the exact nature of how this is brought up because it is at the very end, but... Uh, I bring up a crazy batshit example of 
that they they can just say that okay we have found a planet an exoplanet populated by flying unicorns and people will believe it well why will they believe it because people will accept the truth that they are presented right they will accept the world that they are presented Right, yeah, and if you have a group of people to get together and all claim it, I mean, if you have you know ten scientists and they get together and make some claim, it's just going to be believed. And people think, oh, well, you know, the way Neil deGrasse Tyson describes it is that people would come out and try and debunk that. But it's just like the evolution thing: is there is no money, there is no funding, there is no uh, science behind trying to uh, show the problems with evolution, uh, because all the funding goes into the evolutionary science. So if you come back and you say, oh, well, we found. Uh, this kind of evidence of evolution or this kind of evidence, there is nobody who's going to follow up that and try and disprove those claims because what you're doing is claiming a story that everybody believes. It's just like the whole dinosaur story. And, you know, I've talked about this a million times, but there's evidence coming back now that these so-called dinosaur bones, and you can believe what you want, whether they're dinosaurs or whether they're just big whales or who knows what they are. But when they're testing these you know, bones, they're coming back with tissue, you know, soft tissue in these bones. Well, soft tissue... Uh, dissolves very quickly and will, will you know be gone within a couple thousands of years. Uh, certainly, if you carbon date those bones, which they have done, those dates are coming back to 10, 20, 30,000 years old. Well, of course, that doesn't line up at all with the 67 million year story of dinosaurs and that they went extinct that long ago. Well, even though scientists are coming out with these papers, they all get shoveled away. They get swept under the rug. Yeah. They get told they're crazy. You know, I've told the story before where uh, some scientists, I think 10 of them, sent in 10 T-Rex samples to uh, be tested, and they all came back at between uh, 10,000 to 30,000 years old. Well, when they found out that those were actually dinosaur bones that they were sent, immediately the lab got extremely frustrated, told those 10 scientists they're never allowed to send anything to that lab again, because by not telling the lab, hey, these are dinosaur bones, the lab thought <laughs> they tested them, and they tested them true, and they came back 10 to 30,000 years old. That's if you believe carbon dating um, at all. But... I certainly think when you see live tissue in these bones, it proves that what we're being told about dinosaurs is completely and totally false and the age of the earth and the age of these dinosaurs and how long ago they were extinct. But you'll never have that reach mainstream. Why? Because they've taught a story about 67 million years. So that's the that's the line, right? That's the narrative. Yeah, the, the, the timeline is carved in stone at this Correct. point. Right. So if you're going to do any experiments, any testing, as long as it falls in line with the 67 million year old theory, those things get published. They get put out. So of course us as onlookers, we see that and people might just look at the stories and say, oh, well, it must be true. All these scientists agree that these dinosaurs extinct went extinct 67 million years ago. But what gets swept under the rug, what people don't see is the other testing that goes against that, that gets swept under the rug, that gets thrown away, that gets told you can't practice your, your paleontology here anymore uh, because what you're showing is... So all the funding goes to support the theories. So it's the same thing when it comes to space. You know, you can't go out and say, oh, well, I tested and uh, well, I'm actually finding that these planets or these stars or whatever are so much closer or so much smaller. If you said anything like that, you're going to be completely dismissed because it doesn't fall in line with the mainstream narrative. So it's very easy to see how this stuff gets hidden. And if you're somebody who spent years in graduate school or went on to get your PhD or whatever, uh, going against the grain is the absolute quickest way to the street where you're not going to have a job anymore and basically you have your entire career your entire education thrown down the drain because you questioned the narrative so it's much easier to just go in line and to go through with everything that they've told you so yeah and you're probably just going to have a peer-reviewed uh science paper if you follow the mainstream narrative if you 
I, I think you did a uh, show about this like years ago. But if you do a if you attempt to do a study about something and have it peer reviewed for something that is completely out of their timeline, like dinosaurs being much younger than what we were told, they will never fund that, right? Of course not. No. We got a super chat from Silver Umbrella who said lots of questions. Well, I think that's true for all of us. That's why we're all here. You know, that's why people become flat earthers is because there's too many unanswered questions about everything that we were taught. And when you teach children at such a young age that all these things are fact and all these things are true, then the evidence should be bountiful, should be plentiful. And when you can't find it and all you get is stories and then you find out, you know, I always talk about the water uh, going down the drain in the opposite directions. That's something I was taught in school was a fact. And so when you grow up, you think, oh, well, there's so much evidence. And then when you look into it and you find out that's a complete and total sham and there's even people at the equator that lie to tourists and make money by just pouring water in an opposite direction on one side of the equator versus the other side and people all fall for it. And it's just very easy to tell people whatever you want. It's just very easy to get people to believe whatever the mainstream is. And that's where people feel comfortable. Now, a lot of us have, you know, you know torn that veil back and shown that there's a lot of errors in their things. And, you know, I, I showed the other day, Amichu Kaku uh, telling people, I think I showed it in my, you know, my presentation, but, you know, Amichu Kaku says that there's nobody in his field that uses the scientific method. Well, this is exactly the problem that we have is that what he's talking about is basing everything off of theories. Like he says, we fly by the seat of our pants. We just make things up basically is what he says. And uh, that's a scary position, you know, to be in uh, when you realize that this is where our science is coming from. And it's stuff that we'll never experience. It's stuff that you'll never, you, none of us here listening to this show or any of your friends or anybody you know or anybody you've ever known or anybody you will ever know will ever go to Mars or the moon. <laughs> Period. Fact. End of story. So why do we get caught up in this whole story? Of, oh, space and space travel and all the money that gets pumped into this and into NASA making $60 million a day and they can't even provide us with an image of the Earth. Anybody who falls for that and believes that or thinks we went to the moon 50 years ago and we just haven't gone back for whatever reason you want to accept, um, you know, and they have millions, right? Oh, well, the money is too expensive and it's too hard, even though they did it six times in three years. And I always like to point out uh, every moon landing was done under President Nixon. So uh, let me ask you this about your book. Is it a one-off or are you going to continue? Or are you going to have further uh, installments or I don't know what you want to call it. Is there going to be a second yeah, I'm writing the sequel right now, which uh, looks to be the concluding uh, chapter of this whole story, because I don't want to drag it out. But but I have a very, very specific ending for this story, uh, which I'm really excited for. So right now uh, it's on track for being released in December 2020 or possibly in 2021. Okay. Uh, what, what kind of research did you do? You know, what, what, did it take a lot of research to, you know, get to this point? I'm taking it that if you started watching videos, you must have had to look into a lot of this stuff. I mean, you obviously have a lot of information there about Admiral Byrd and, uh, you know, Rowan Amundsen and, and these guys. So did you have to do research on all that to write this book? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, apart from the Flat Earth 101, which I already had in my head after watching so many videos, ever since I realized the, that the entire second half of the book would take place in Antarctica, I had to take a deep dive into that whole region because that is just 
I never get tired of researching Antarctica. There's just so much weird stuff going on there. You know, you had the uh, Buzz Aldrin was there in 2016. John Kerry went there on election day. You had the Russian Orthodox, you know what that guy is called, you know, the Russian Orthodox Pope or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so much weird activity going on there, even in present day, and especially so, um, you know, in the 50s and the 40s. So everyone in the conspiracy community seems to be in agreement on, you know, wh- whether or not you're an alien guy, you know, you believe in what what is that pro- uh, p- program called on uh, a- ancient aliens, right? right? Yeah, on History Channel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whether or not you're an aliens guy or you're a flat earth guy, you will agree that there's something going on in Antarctica. So it wasn't that daunting because it's so interesting to me. So I just researched it for months. No, that's good. And you can tell. I mean, there's so much good information and that's what we're talking about. You'll have to check it out for yourselves uh, to see that, you know, he just does a good job of incorporating flat earth hit tidbits or you know you can call them historical facts into the book to make it very readable and a very real story um i think it has a lot of you know qualities like that that people will enjoy um for people who and i know we're past the hour here but for people who prefer listening rather than sitting down and enjoying a good read is there going to be an audio version do you have anything planned for that yeah and uh that's the thing that i am very very excited about because our friend josh corey you know from iron rail media and right. shout out to that i want to give a shout out to that entire channel because they had me on they were the first folks who had me on about four and a half months ago uh and yeah i, mean, I just felt like josh would be the perfect reader for this book and he's underway he's i think he's done like two chapters or something but the most unique thing about this the creme de la creme is our mutual friend rodrigo ferrari nunez doing the uh you know composing original score for this oh so it'll be like merged with josh Corey's reading of it yeah, oh, yeah. Wow, that'd be awesome. uh, I mean, I still haven't worked out exactly how this will work, but I'm really, really excited. And I will, I will, you know, fight tooth and nail for this to work. So, yeah, I, I think this will be quite a unique thing because, you know, almost every book this day has an audio version, right? Because people like course, to yeah. listen in their car or whatever or on the airplane. Right. But to have original composed soundtrack that's something that's mostly uh you know that that's something for movies mostly but yeah i can't wait to see what rodrigo has in store unfortunately i was never uh i never got the chance to see him play any instruments in amsterdam but i think oh he's good <laughs> yeah he's very talented <laughs> yeah so, very yeah. talented yeah no he's got uh definitely musically inclined so you know and people you know should obviously check out his channel and you know join us tomorrow i'll definitely ask him about this tomorrow on the um on the friday lounge just to see what he has in mind and i think it's a great idea though to do some sort of audio track uh kind of behind the reading of it i think it'd be fantastic i think people would enjoy yeah, that he, like he hasn't gotten started yet because he wants to hear josh's uh, first you know chapters and i i haven't sent 
I haven't sent Rodrigo anything yet, so. Right. Okay. So, I mean, I think that's it. I mean, I, I just wanted to cover a couple of those questions and let people know that the book is available. Let me show one more time. Uh, let's see here. And I know I've got an interview coming up at 2, so I've got a skedaddle. But let me show everybody real quick. Let's see here. We'll get both these up. So, yeah, the links are in the description. This is obviously the Amazon.com copy here. You can get it for nineteen ninety five. Uh, that's still available. Lots of those still available. And then also there is the Amazon.co.uk. Now, there's only a couple of these left. Is that true? Let me see. That seems to be the case, yeah. Yeah, it looks like uh, only one left in stock for the UK. So make sure you get that soon as possible. And, you know, it doesn't look like you'd be able to get it delivered by Christmas. But if you get it for the uh, Amazon.com, as you can see here on the screen, it looks like it will be uh, delivered in time. Looks like over yeah, here. Yeah, but you, you probably got to order it today or tomorrow. So, you yeah. know. Uh, yeah, it looks like you can still get it uh, December 21st, and there's also some used copies available, so if you don't want to spend the full 1995, it's a beautiful book. It's paperback. Um, very nice. Yeah, there is some used and uh, new copies for a little bit cheaper here, so definitely check that out. It does say Arise Before Christmas, is, especially if you have um, Amazon Prime. And then also, uh, I put in the description a link to Goodreads, and this is basically a place where people make comments. Tell everybody about what's going on here at Goodreads. Yeah, Goodreads is uh, it's sort of like the IMDb for books. If you know what IMDb is, it's like IMDb is like uh, the worldwide movie database, and this is like the book worldwide database. And right. it, it's much easier to write a review on Goodreads because Amazon has a bunch of uh, you know restrictions. You need to have ordered like. A certain amount of product that given year for even you know to be eligible to write a review so goodreads is uh, simpler basically yeah i see uh some there is some review from mark devlin on here joshua Corey reviewed it uh i see a guy named paul alejandro uh, paul on the plane is the top one so people should check that out and if you do read it uh, please give a review i'll make sure i do that um, on Goodreads and probably Amazon as well. I'm not sure if you have to have purchased it from there. Obviously, you sent it to me, which thank you very much, by the way, for... Uh, no not problem. sent it to me. You <laughs> actually handed it to me, but thank you very much for it. It's uh, an awesome book, and I think people will enjoy it. So definitely check that out. Um, but any final words you wanted to give before we head off for the day? Um, not really. Uh, Merry Christmas, everyone. Uh, do you have anything that you want to ask me as a final notes or anything? No, I mean, I think that was that was it. I'm excited to see what you do going forward. I think I'm excited to read some other people's you know, books as I love to see the creativity that this is bringing. I think it's a great idea for anybody who's looking for maybe a flat earth gift, but kind of in a co concealed way. Um, yeah. You know, for people that are my family that read uh, I think it's a book that I could get them that they could say, well, what's this about? Oh, it's just a, you know, a fiction story um, about a voyage to the edge of the earth or something like that. You know, hand that off as a you know, $20 Christmas gift. I think it's a great gift. So uh, I just appreciate you uh, being so friendly with me in both, um, you know, Amsterdam and Dallas and to your dad as well. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing you in 2020. And uh, uh, is it confirmed with Las Vegas for next year? 
I'm not sure. You know, I've been kind of out of the loop this last month. I know that um, Robbie Davidson stepped down from being in charge of the conferences, so I'm not sure who's going to pick it up, you know, who's going to pick up the ball and, and run with it. Uh, for me, I've just always been available. If somebody's having an event and they want me to speak, you know, I have no problem uh, getting up on stage and talking to people about my beliefs and why I've come to those conclusions. And so I hope somebody picks it up and I hope that I'm invited back and uh, that would be the plan. But I haven't heard from anybody exactly who's going to be taken over or how it's going to work. And so we're just kind of in the dark as far as that goes, but hopefully it is going to be here and hopefully it's going to be in Vegas and hopefully somebody goes strong with it. I think Robbie did such a fantastic job. It's uh, sad that he won't be continuing it because I don't know if anybody can do quite the job that he's done. No, I agree. And uh, I mean, I, I know why you want Vegas, because you can drive there from Merced right, in, in a few hours. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and you can bring Iru with you, and you can play the synchronicity game in the car. There you go. See, you got all the ideas already. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was never invited to, the, to your synchronicity game thing. Well, we I, I was never invited to the whole card trick thing either, which I will be stealing since you revealed it on Raw with uh, Dave Weiss. <laughs> Did you enjoy that? <laughs> oh, I loved it. It was so amazing because I was never in the room, so I was never triggered or angry. But I will definitely, I, I'm for sure going to use that in the future with, you know, people of my choosing. Right. No, it's a definitely a good trick. So people can check that out either on D Live by clicking replay. That's the most recent episode on D Live, or go to Jaronism Raw, the YouTube channel, and watch last Monday's or this past Monday's uh, stream. But yeah, we gave a, a card trick away, and no, it was a lot of fun. And I'm hearing that from a lot of people that they weren't involved or they, and you know, nobody was looking for it. Just kind of you know, you find out, hey, there's a bunch of people in room 424 or whatever the room was, and we. Uh, headed there and there was like 25 30 people and just fun ensued from there and as far as the synchronicity game nobody's really been invited to play that because we were in um amsterdam and we couldn't find dice so we never got a chance to even play and all we could find was sex dice at the amsterdam <laughs> shops it was like you know there we go lick my shoulder or do this you know those were the only dice we could find so but uh going forward hopefully we can actually do that uh yeah and i think vegas would be an awesome place to do that we did it there before had a lot of fun this time, of course. We'll film it. So, hey, I appreciate everybody joining us. It's been an interview with Douglas Falk. He is the author of The Voyage, which is available now on Amazon. So pick that up. It's a great Christmas gift. And like I said, I'd love to help out anybody in the community uh, doing amazing creative things, whether it's creating awesome videos, whether it's uh, you know writing an awesome book, whether it's creating amazing music. I just think that it's uh, great to highlight some of these people in the community. So Douglas, I appreciate you being here. And again, I'll give you a final chance to tell people where they can find you. Uh, you know, you, you are active on Twitter, correct? Thank you. Yes, I, I'm on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Douglas Falk three and my, uh, official webpage is Douglas Correct. And, uh, yeah, that's all basically. I'm looking forward to meeting you in 2020 again, wherever it will be. Sounds fun. Yeah, it should be uh, enjoyable. So everybody, get the book. Check it out. It's on Amazon. You can find it in the links in the description. And I appreciate you guys joining us for a, a short little interview here. And tune in tomorrow, the same time. Well, it'll be a little bit earlier than today at 12 noon Pacific as we will uh, have another Jaronism Friday Lounge. That's with Iru, Bob. Usually Rodrigo joins us. You never know who will join the panel. So definitely check that out. And, uh, yeah, so check out Douglas, get his book, follow him on Twitter. 
Again, a thank you to all my patrons who make this possible, patreon.com slash jaronism. If you want to send me a super chat via Pony Express, you can do so. Jaronism, P.O. Box 3044, Merced, California, 95344. Maybe send me a Christmas card, uh, a New Year's card, or some you know little letter saying hello. I love reading mail that comes across my desk, <coughs> comes across my desk so appreciate anybody doing that. But that's going to be it for today. Again, join us tomorrow, 12 noon, for the Jaronism Lounge. And I remind you guys to do your own research because when you do, you'll never again believe what you've been taught. It's been fun. Thank you, Douglas, for being for joining me. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Peace. Peace, guys.